uh, Yanceys are here. I know this is a tough time for y'all, and uh, thinking about you guys and praying for you. Love you very, very much, and uh, you're in our thoughts and prayers. Amen. Love you guys. Next week, I'm going to go ahead and tell you in advance, because most of you have Face Twitter or whatever that is that's out there on the interweb, Um, but... We're going to be on vacation for a few days. We're going down to Texas to uh, see my brother, my dad, my whole family. We get together, and we're going down there. And uh, we are honored next Sunday because Josh Yancey is going to be preaching. And you guys know Josh and love him. And, uh, yeah, so uh, he's going to be preaching next week. So make sure you're here. Look, just because I'm on vacation doesn't mean you're on vacation, all right? And I'll know if you're not at church. So you guys just make sure you're here next week. It'll be good. Josh does an amazing job. Okay, thank you for that support. You don't want me to come back? I understand. That's fine. I get that. No, but uh, exciting. It's always fun to get away. You know, the, the older I get, I guess the more I appreciate getting together with family. And, uh, and, and times where you can come together as a group. And I, I'm really looking forward to that time to be able to do that. I plan on fishing. When I'm not fishing, I'm going to fish a little. And then when I don't do fishing, I'm going to go fishing some more. So it's going to be a lot of fun. be a lot of fishing going on. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, lift them up. Repeat after me. Say, this is my Bible. Every word in it is true. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today... I'll be taught God's word. It's his truth transforming every part of my life. And I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's so good to see you guys and and be here together and share this time. You know, this series we're going through right now, I'm loving it. And we're calling it Walking with Giants. And, and here's the picture Paul actually talks about in the book of Hebrews. Well, let me just read the scripture and I'll explain it. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. What Paul is saying here is imagine yourself being in a stadium, like an Olympic stadium, and And you're running your race. And this race is your race of life. And in the stadium are all the people that have gone on before you, all the believers that have gone on before you, all the saints in the Bible, all the prophets, all the Samson and and Noah and, and everybody else, all the disciples, and they are watching you run your race. And the concept here was written by a guy named John Maxwell that said, what if during your race of life, people could come out of the stands and take a lap with you? And so imagine some Bible great that comes walking out of the the stadium and comes down and says, all right, on this lap, I'm going to walk with you. And in that one lap, they're going to kind of download to you (laughs) in those very few minutes the big point from their life, the big takeaway from their life. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? And so we've been going through, we've talked about Isaiah, we've talked about uh, Jonah, which was fun. We've talked about Ruth. This week, we're going to talk about a lady named Rahab. A lady named Rahab. Rahab's story is absolutely amazing. And when you you begin to uncover and peel back the layers of her life, it's absolutely amazing to see what God has done in her life. But here's the theme today that, that I want you to think about. If Rahab were to come down, you get to the starting line again on a lap, and and Jonah's walked back up from last week, and here comes Rahab. 
And Rahab would come down to you, and I think what Rahab would say to you, first off, is that God searches for you to be a part of his story. And if you've got notes, you can circle God searches for you. Here's what's amazing. There are other religions and philosophies in the world, and I really don't consider Christianity to be a religion. I don't. I think it's the truth. But here's the thing. Every other religion, every other philosophy, especially theological type things, are are man's search for God. It's mankind trying to figure God out, trying to find God. But Christianity is different in that it's God searching for us. See, what Jesus is all about is him. He's looking for you. It's not that you were looking for him. It's he was looking for you. And I love that about the gospel. See, for many of you, if you look back in your life, those of you that are believers, for some of you, it was on your worst day that Jesus showed up. It wasn't when you were at your best. For some of you, you were in jail. For some of you, you were, you were in a crisis in your life. And in the middle of your crisis, you cried out to God. And some of you maybe didn't even cry out. He just showed up. And let me just say this. This isn't in your notes, but this is important. So hear this. Some of you right now are going through a difficult time. Some of you would say you're going through one of the most difficult times of your life. Let me just say this to you. God allows some of those things to happen sometimes. Why? Because usually it's when we're broken that we realize we need to be fixed. Many times when we're broken, we realize, I need help. I need to be fixed. And so God will intersect these paths of our lives sometimes when we're going through crisis. And he looks at our crisis and he's right there with us. And Rahab is the kind of person that was in that spot. You know, I've got a pen up here. I don't know who put this on my podium, but thank you very much. It's a bright orange pen. Here's what I want you to imagine today. Imagine that you are writing the story of your life. You've got this story and you're writing the story of your life. For many of you, what you've written so far is a tragedy. It's a train wreck. You've looked at your life and you've been writing it out. And if you're honest, what you've got written so far is not going to end well. And Rahab was on that track. Because see, here's what's interesting about Rahab, guys. She's a prostitute. Rahab, the prostitute. But God has a plan for Rahab and God intersects her life. And let me give you the backstory before I read the scripture here. Rahab lived in the city of Jericho. The, the Hebrew children had been wandering around the desert for 40 years. Moses has died. Joshua has now taken control of the people. God commands them to cross the river and begin to move into the promised land. And as they begin to move into the promised land, Jonah, or Jonah Joshua sends out spies And he says, go spy out the land, but I especially want you to spy out Jericho. And here's why. Jericho was a huge walled city considered to be impenetrable. Okay, it's a massive fortress that by conventional means, the armies of that day wouldn't have been able to conquer. And so these spies go through the land and they go in and they spy out Jericho. But here's what happens. The king figures out they're in there, these spies. And so he's looking for him, them. So, so they're looking for a place to hide. And they go into Rahab the prostitute's house. And she hides them. She doesn't rat them out. She hides them. 
And in and, and the course of this time that they're together while they're waiting for the army to quit searching for them, she goes, look, I know that your God is going to give your people this land. So something was already kind of stirring in here in her life. And she said, so when you conquer this city, I just want to live and I want my family to live. She said, I just want our family to live and, and I'm going to pick up the story from there. Joshua 2, verse 1, says this. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim and said, go look over the land. And he said, especially Jericho. So they went and then they entered into the house of a prostitute named Rahab. And they stayed there. Now the men had said to her, this oath that you have made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. Here's what they said. If you'll hide us and if you won't tell everybody what we're going to do, you won't tell them we're coming to attack this place. If you take this scarlet rope, red rope, and hang it out your window, when we attack the city, we won't kill anyone that's in your house. There's something interesting about the scarlet thread, the red rope. All throughout scripture, whenever you see scarlet or you see red, it's significance of the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus that was going to come. It signified that salvation that was going to come. And what the guys said is, hey, you hang this out the window and we see that, we won't attack your city. But if it's not there, your family's fair game. What's interesting about Rahab is that this, this is a huge walled city. Imagine a big castle with a wall around it. Rahab's house is on the outside, so her windows are somewhere way up high facing outside. So when the, the army gets ready to attack, they're going to see that scarlet thread and realize those, are, those people are to be spared. So they crawl out the same window and head back. Well, I'm going to go ahead and tell you the Jericho story so I can finish this one. The Hebrew army comes and God gives them a battle plan to attack the city. And those of you that have been to vacation Bible school remember that after the seventh day, seven times around, they blew trumpets. And it says, you may have never noticed this before, that the walls of the city, what? Came tumbling down. The walls of Jericho, miraculously, God does a miracle and the walls of Jericho tumble down except for one place. Where was that? Rahab's house I want you to imagine that you're Rahab and you go to step out your door and there ain't nothing there right because the walls of the entire city came down except in one place and standing up like a spire in the middle of that chaos was her salvation that's a pretty awesome story isn't it she served God and was faithful and God spared not only her but her, her whole family. See, God always makes a way for us to be in his story. But here's the thing. That's not the whole story. That's a cool story, but that's not the whole story. See, Rahab's life was a mess. She was a prostitute. Every time she was with a man, she felt that much more guilty. She knew she was broken. And her story was a tragedy. But she in that moment gave the pen to God and God says, let me write your story. Let me write your story. 
So let me tell you the rest of Rahab the prostitute's story. Because you probably don't know it. Rahab and her family were spared. Now understand, Rahab is a foreigner. She's not a Hebrew. She's a foreigner. So when she comes out of this city as the only survivors, they adopt Rahab and her whole family into the Jewish nation. She is adopted into them as a foreigner. But God doesn't stop there. She marries into this great family in Jewish history, and she becomes the great, 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 28 times grandmother of Jesus Christ. The blood of a foreign prostitute flows through the blood of Jesus. So what's your excuse? When you look at your life and you think of all the reasons you can't come to, jo- come to God, here is this lady who has every reason in the world not to. And she does, but she's not alone. Get this. In the book of Matthew, in the New Testament, one of the Gospels was written by a guy named Matthew. Let me tell you a little bit about Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. He was a disciple that Jesus chose. He was a tax collector, which they hated him. Everybody hated People in ancient history might not agree on a lot of things, but they all hated tax collectors. These guys served the Roman government. They were crooked and mean and wicked. And Jesus says, hey, Matthew, come be one of my disciples. I ought to tell you something. So Matthew is writing this gospel. Very interestingly, Matthew goes back in the first chapter of his gospel and lists the genealogy of Jesus. Very interesting. In Jesus' genealogy, Matthew lists 42 men and four women. That's weird, isn't it? 42 men, but for some reason, he singled out these four women. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 1. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Tamar, if you circle Tamar, Tamar was accused of also being a prostitute. Tamar fell and did a lot of bad things, but she was in Jesus' bloodline. Tamar. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was who? Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Same bloodline. Ruth was a foreigner. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Bathsheba, the lady who had an adulterous relationship with King David. There's a reason that Matthew wrote down those four women because he could identify with them. And let me tell you something, guys. I, have, I knew this when I was working on this message and getting the notes put together. In the last seven years, this is probably one of the most important three messages I'll ever give you because he, this is the crux of the gospel. It's for everybody. The good news Is for everybody. And so you need to hear this. If you don't hear anything else today, if some of you are going to take a nap, wait till I get finished with this part, okay? If you'll give God your pen, he'll rewrite your story. You know what's amazing about God? One of the things. If you notice after Rahab comes and joins the Israelite nation, she's never called Rahab 
the prostitute anymore. She's Rahab, God's daughter. The Bible tells us that he'll give us a new name. When you come to salvation, when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are adopted into his family, and your name has changed. You are a new person. You are not them anymore. You're not that old person anymore. You say, Pastor, I don't understand how that works. Me either. But that's okay. Because God so loved you that he was willing to let Jesus die for you so that he could rewrite your story. Guys, that's the gospel. That's the good news, that he wants to rewrite your story. That's amazing to me. So we're walking around here with Rahab, and the first thing she'd say is give him the pen. Just give him the pen. Let him, if he can fix me, I can hear her say this, if he can fix me, he can fix anybody. But he didn't just forgive me. He brought me into his family. And now she gets the honor of looking at Jesus, realizing that she's Jesus' great-grandmother. So for some of you that are having a hard time, some of you have this idea that if I clean my life up, then I can come to God. Guys, nothing could be further from the truth. You can't clean your life up enough. You can never do that. So just stop trying. Let him rewrite your story. You know, there's a lot of things in life I'm not good at. There's a few that I am good at, like two or something, but there's a whole lot of things I'm not good at. And, and I've gone back to school, you know, I'm working on my master's degree and I'm having to write a whole lot of papers. Josh, you understand. And, and I like draw stick figures when I draw, you know, I'm like that guy. And, and so I decided that, hey, I can write some of the content, but I need an expert to really go over my papers and make sure they're grammatically correct. So I found a lady, Jamie Schultz, that has her master's in English. She's one of those weird people that likes to read stuff. So you know what I did? I went to Jamie and I said, Jamie, will you look over all my papers? And she goes, I would love to do that. That's my gift. I'd be glad to. And so I asked my professor and he said, I think you're a genius. Because I'm good at what I'm good at, but there's some things I'm not good at. And some of you guys need to be try, stop trying to be good at things you're not and just let God work on you. Let him have you. Give him the pen and let him write your story. Give him control. So how do you do that? How do you get to the place where you're willing to hand it off? Look at number one on your notes. This is what I think Rahab would say to us on our little walk around the track. God invites you to be a part of his story. Say yes. Say yes. You're, you're like, Pastor, is, it's that simple? It's simple and hard at the same time. Inviting Jesus to be your savior and meaning it is one of the easiest things you can ever do. Allowing him to be your Lord is harder. Allowing him to be in charge. See, what, what a lot of us like to do is, is give him the pen and then go, hey, hey, let me have it back. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. It's like, hey, Jesus, I know I gave you the pen, but right? Some of y'all are good at that all the time. Some of y'all did like I did in first grade. See, I'm left-handed. I throw right-handed, kick with either foot. I am jacked up. Okay, we can all agree with that, right? 
Amen. Um, so, but here's what happened. In first grade, I, I was trying to figure out how to write. You know, I had the big chief pencil, you know, the one that's like the size of a pine tree. And, you know, that's a joke. Uh, anyway, they're kind of that big. Um, but I'm in there writing, and they thought somebody was cheating on my papers. And what, so one day the teacher came over and was watching me write, and I would write, and then when I'd get tired, I'd write with the other hand. <laughs> And then when I get tired, I write with this hand. And then, you know, and it was jacked up. <laughs> and that's what a lot of us do with God. We say, here. And then we go, ah. And then we jack it up. And then he has to come through. But you know what's amazing about God? He is so patient. Why? Because you're his kid. And he died for you. And he loves you. And he has this amazing plan for you. And he doesn't care about your past because he's covered that in Jesus' sacrifice. And the Bible says that he, he has a future and a hope for us. He's got a plan with your name on it if you'll cooperate with him. John 8 verse 12 says this, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Watch this. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you'll walk with him, darkness and light can't coexist. And Jesus said, if you'll give me the pen, we can walk together, and it changes everything. And, and it's hard for some of us to understand. I talked to a lady this week, and we were in there visiting, and she was like, you don't know what I've done. I've done so many bad things, and we're both crying. And I said, I understand, but you need to understand something. God knows and he loves you and he can change your story if you'll let him. Some of you have done that. I know. I know some of you. I know some of you were writing a tragedy and God got involved in your life and he started writing this amazing story out of what was once a train wreck. Luke 9, 23 through 24 says this. Watch, this is Jesus talking. Then he said to them, who? All. Who's the all? Are we the all? Okay. Then Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Watch this. This is what I want you to see. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. And this is the great paradox of Christianity. For most of my life, and for some of you, you can relate, for most of your life, you are running after things trying to make yourself feel good. You were trying to do everything you could. Well, if I got another wife, well, if I made more money, well, if I had another job, well, if I fill in the blank. And it didn't work. And Jesus answers it right here. If you want to have a life, then you have to lose yours. If you want to really live, you have to you lose your life. But he says, for whoever loses it for me is going to save it. It's doing it his way. It's giving him the pen. You see the theme? This is a theme. <laughs> Give him the pen and let him keep it. You know, I got to tell you guys, I'm so humbled at what God's doing in the life of our church and our community. What's coming up next, I'm telling you, it's gonna be awesome. You are blessed to be here that we all get to be a part of the time that God's about to bring us into as a church. But we had an amazing honor this week that I didn't even know we were getting. 
I had a phone call from the district superintendent of the Assembly of God and said, hey, come down. We wanna, we've got a group of guys. We want to get you guys together to meet for a roundtable. I had no idea what was going on. I show up. There's 14 churches there, including us. They said these are the, the fastest growing, most progressive churches in the entire state in this room. And we were one of those. What you all have done to change the lives of people in our community is making an impact outside of this community. And that was nothing any of us intended to do. We were just trying to run after God. But he, he, is, he is taking what God is doing in your lives and he's starting to let other people see it. And that's an amazing, amazing thing. That's a humbling thing. But you have to lose your life to be able to save it. And it doesn't make sense on the surface. Some of you feel like if I make more money, if I run harder, if I do more, and that's never going to work, let me just save you some time. Stop running. Give him the pen. Give him the pen. What else would Rahab say? We're about halfway done now. So so we look over at her, and, and she says, listen, listen, listen to me. She would say this, number two, God wants to surprise you with his love. Accept him. I would say almost without exception, this is where a lot of people have trouble. Is they have a hard time receiving the fact that God loves them. They have a hard time accepting his love because they know what they've done. I I don't have this in my notes, but I feel like I need to share this. One of my favorite stories from the entire New Testament is a true story, and it centers around something that Jesus was doing. Jesus was in a town, and he was preaching in the center of town. Had his disciples with him, a crowd had gathered, and Jesus was teaching the people. And the Bible tells us that the religious leaders, a group of religious leaders had, the Bible says, caught a woman found in adultery in the very act. She is in the act of adultery. They break into her house, grab her out half naked, drag her down to the middle of the square where Jesus is, throw her down in the dirt beside him and say, Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses, the law says that she should be killed. What do you say? The Bible says they did this to trick him because they had him. The law did say she needed to be stoned. But Jesus was all about mercy and grace. How's this going to work? They got him. The Bible says that Jesus didn't even really look up at him much. He sat there and the Bible actually says he continued to draw in the dirt. He was drawing something in the dirt. Nobody knows what it is. But after a moment, you can imagine what this was like. The whole town's there, right? Here's this lady at the pit of her embarrassment. And Jesus stands up and turns around and looks at these religious people. And he says these words. He says, you without sin cast the first stone. One version says you without the same sin cast the first stone. And the Bible says that they began to leave one by one. Can you imagine the sound of those dropping rocks? They had stones. They were going to stone her to death. And one by one, they began to drop their stones and leave until pretty soon they were all gone. 
And Jesus is there with this lady. Now understand something. She was just caught in the act of adultery. Her guilt was not in question. There was only one person in the world that had the ability to judge her, and that was Jesus. And he looks over at her, and he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she looks around, and she's amazed that there's nobody there. And she said, there's no one here, Lord. And he said, neither do I accuse you. Go your way. Watch this. Sin no more. So when you look at Rahab, and you look at Ruth, and you look at Mary Magdalene, and you look at Jonah, and you look at Peter, and you look at Paul, and you look at yourself, And you know who you are. And the God of the universe is sitting there for you. And he said, I forgive you. She had to receive that. And that's my question for you today. Whatever it is that's keeping you, accept his forgiveness. He loves you. And and you need to stop with what you've done. God knows what you've done. But if you'll receive him, he will forgive you. You cannot out God's grace. But notice this. This is important. Jesus said, go your way. Don't do that anymore. Because sin will kill you, folks. The wages of sin, the Bible says, are death. And so Jesus, while he forgave her, he also said, you got to change. You don't want to keep going that way anymore. And and when you come to Jesus, I want you to understand something. And this is just the gospel truth. Some of you that have been keeping up with me on Face Twitter know that what I'm doing now is I've lost 14 pounds over the last almost month. You know, a whole big old turkey is gone from my body, right? I was thinking about that yesterday. What do you compare it to? 14-pound turkey. That ought to tell you something. But here's what's interesting. The things I used to crave, I don't crave anymore. I mean, yesterday, you know what I had for lunch yesterday? Carrots. You know what else I had? Carrots. A couple pieces of apple. And I was fine with that. And I went to the gym last night, and I weighed. I'm like, yeah, I lost another three or four. I mean, I'm like, wow. And now I'm starting to think about what my future's going to be like if I'll stay on this path. And I don't want to go back there anymore. And that's how it is when you truly start to learn who God is. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I want to tell you something, folks. Once you've tasted the real thing, the fake thing doesn't attract you anymore. And for some of you right now that are having a hang-up, they're saying, man, I don't know, I've got these challenges in my life, and I've got these different things that pull me. You need to understand something. If you'll give him the pen and let him rewrite your life, he'll write an amazing story. And I've got to be honest with you, and it's certainly not because I'm wonderful, Lord knows and a bunch of y'all know. I'm not. But I've determined in my life if I don't do anything else, I'm going to give him the pen because he can write a lot better than I can. And I'm just kind of interested to see how it turns out. It's kind of fun. I never know from week to week what God's going to do because I've learned to give him the pen and let him keep it. And if he can do it for Rahab, he can do it for you.
Look at number three. God wants you to love others with your actions. Serve him. Serve him. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? Wherever you are, serve him. Whatever you do, serve him. You're to be God's hand and feet, and it's not just at church. As a matter of fact, I mean, think about it. This is what? one or two percent of your entire week is spent in this room the rest of the time you're out there and guess what serve him where you are love people where you are it doesn't matter if you're in the chicken house in the courthouse in the outhouse whatever you know just serve God and love him and serve people and the best way for you to serve him is to love people and be the hands and feet of Jesus in whatever situation that you're in Serve him. Look at this. 1 John 3, 16 through 18. This is awesome. This is how we know what love is. Better pay attention to this, right? This is how we know what real love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. Do I need to explain that to anybody? Don't talk about it, do it. And you guys are one of the greatest churches in the world about that. We're not gonna talk about God's love, we're gonna show people God's love, and then we'll talk about God's love. We're gonna show them what that looks like. Well, here's my last point. Here we are with Rahab, and we're walking up to the finish line. This is the last thing she's going to say to you. Okay? Watch this. God signs his name to your story. Thank him. Thank him. Bobby, are you thankful? Mark, are you thankful? Barbie, are you thankful? Joe, are you thankful? I had a gentleman grab me this week. And, and uh, he said, Chris, can I talk to you just for a second? I was in a hall in a building, and he just came up and grabbed me and pulled me aside to a room, and I said, yeah, well, what's up, man? He said, my son was in a four-wheeler accident a couple days ago. It should have killed him. He should be dead. And this guy's just like barely holding it together. And he said, he said I want to thank God for saving my son's life. And he said these words. He said, you know, we're always quick to ask God for things. We're very, very rarely will we thank God for something that he's doing. And I said, you know what? You're right. I said, let's do that right now. And so right there, we just began to thank God. And he was just so thankful. And I want to encourage you in that. Thank him. Think about where your life could have been before you gave him the pen. Think about how things could have gone that didn't go that way. And think about the mercy of God that's flowing through your life. If you're a Christian, you should be thankful. Watch this. I'm going to read this last section of Scripture here. Before I do that, let me tell you a little bit. The Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Your New Testament Bible that many of you have in your hand right now, two-thirds of it was written by Paul. But that's not the whole story with Paul. See, Paul, before he became Paul, 
was killing Christians. He was a murderer. He was a murderer. Literally was killing God's kids. He was ISIS. He was Hitler. Matter of fact, after he got saved, he was radically saved and came into a relationship with Jesus. A lot of people didn't want to hang around him for a long time. But it's interesting, when I read my Bible, that's why I love about the Bible, guys, it doesn't pull any punches. Rahab was a prostitute. Such and such did this. This guy committed adultery. This guy committed murder, blah, blah, blah. But that's not the end of the story. The story is they gave the pen to God. They said yes to God, and he rewrote their story. See, that wasn't who they always were. They changed because God got involved in their life. Folks, you need to hear this. This is the, this is the thing. This is the thing. It doesn't matter what your past is, but when you come to Christ and you really surrender your life to him, he rewrites your story. He rewrites it. He changes everything. And that's amazing to me. So this is what the Apostle Paul says. Now that you know who he was, he's writing to Timothy, a young pastor. This is what he says. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Watch this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and then he pauses, and he says, and I am the worst of them all. said, I'm the worst. I was killing God's kids. I was shaking my fist at God. I thought I was doing God a favor, and I was killing his children. Watch this. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. Then other, he noted, he gets it. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. And watch how he, what he says here. Watch this. All honor and glory to God forever and ever, exclamation mark. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. And then he says, amen. See, we don't have a Bible that says do these 20 things and then you might get in. It just says come. It just says come and receive this great gift that God has given us. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your brokenness. It doesn't matter your rebellion. Just come to Jesus because if he can save Paul and he can save Rahab, he can save you. Isn't it true? Isn't it true? Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you and I'm humbled and amazed by your mercy. Lord, I'm amazed by your grace. This amazing love that you have that is beyond my comprehension. That you would look down at us and those of us that deserve judgment. We deserve to be cast out. We deserve to be set aside. We deserve to be the least. And yet you come and you, you lean down in the dirt with us. You get down in the mess of our lives and you love us. And you change us. If you're here today. And you would be honest with God and you would be honest with yourself. Really, it's, those are the two people that's most important. 
And if you realize today that you're that person, I'm not saying you're a prostitute. I'm not saying that it, the sin is irrelevant. What I'm saying is you realize that you're writing your own story and you need to give him the pen. That you need to surrender everything to him. Today can be a brand new day for you. If that's you today, and you want to give Jesus your heart, you want to surrender everything to him, you want to say, Lord, here I am. If you can fix me, you can have me. If that's you, just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Amen. I see your hand. Say, Pastor, I see your hand. Amen. You say, Pastor, that's me. Amen. I see your hand. God loves you so much. I want you to understand something today. As a church, we exist for you. We are simply people that are in the hospital that God made. We just got here before you did. There's no judgment in this place. We're all sinners saved by grace. If you slip your hand up, I want you to know something. God loves you. But if you're ready to give him the pen of your life, what I want you to do, and I'm not trying to embarrass you, I just want you to understand we, we want you to make that commitment. I just want to ask you to step out and come down to the front. Just step out like some of the leaders to come down. If you raised your hand, maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you feel like you need to do that. You just come down here to the front. We're going to pray for you. Nothing to be embarrassed about. This is why we're here. Like some of the leaders to come down, Clint, Monica. Just I want everybody to be standing with somebody. Amen. Amen. This is why we do what we do. Amen. You can just lean down there and pray. See if you come over here. <laughs>